Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Amy Lundy and in for Joel Drucker. It's Craig O'Shaughnessy, someone we're so excited to have on a, a resume that is extremely impressive and you are likely familiar with his work. Uh, founder of Brain Game Tennis, which provides strategy for players of all levels, current head coach of Alexi Popperin on the ATP Tour, former strategy coach of one of our three, Novak Djokovic, and the current strategy coach for the Italian Federation. So um, this is, a, of course, a, a big three show, Craig. So let's start with Rafa Nadal. And we so appreciate you um, taking time out of your very busy schedule. Yeah. You are in Melbourne, uh, court three behind you, and the beautiful city skyscape looks incredible. Um, you've had a there chance. It back there. there it is. <laughs> I know, I know you've been at Rafa's practices and you've had a chance to, to be around him in the last couple of weeks. Any big observations about Rafa Nadal and the state of his game and, and any, anything you've seen from observing? Yeah, I think he's building nicely, you know, playing the Melbourne One event, um, you know, basically got over COVID, got here, played the tournament. I was fortunate to get a walk over there. He would have had to play Talon Griegspoor. He was on a 28-match win streak. And, um, you know, he came up sore, so he didn't have to play that match. But, you know, Rafa won there. Um, then he gets a week of practice, and he's, he's doing very well in the tournament so far. Uh, when I got in this morning, I went and watched the tiebreak. Um, you know, one of the things, they're like, oh, it's so long. It's so amazing. And, yes, the tennis was amazing. And, yes, he was lucky uh, to get through <laughs> on a few of those points. No question, but you know, Rafa's, you know, Rafa's bouncing the ball like 13 or 15 times between first and second serve. So, you know, it's it takes so much time. So that that you know, the length of that tie break is always going to be a little bit more than other players. What I was surprised about was how often he went to the backhand slice, and I can only imagine that the strategy was um, to give Manorino zero power to work with because Manorino is a great counter puncher. He strings his racket like spaghetti, basically hand pulls it. It's so loose. So he really does like to feed and redirect. And, um, you know, the amount of slice backhands, I, I, I think, was to give him zero power so Manorino would have to swing and, and hopefully overhit. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Rap is doing really well. Just so you know, um, you know, he's so far in the tournament. Uh, the forehand's doing well, 67 forehand winners. 24 off the backhand, typical Rafa numbers, 96 errors off the forehand, 79 off the backhand. Everything's normal. And in the rally rank, um, he's plus 62. He's won 62 more points than he's lost in zero through four, 27 more than he's lost in five, three, and 21 and nine plus. So I look at that and I'm like, these are all par for the course numbers. Um, I think he's doing well. I think he's building nicely. I think not having Novak, uh, in the draw, you know, all of these guys, all of your big three seem to grow another leg when somebody's missing. And now Rafa, <laughs> for the first time ever, has got two guys missing. 
So he's got to be feeling good about his chances. Plus, Zverev just went out of the tournament, which was a looming threat. Um, first of all, Craig, thanks for doing this. You're a good friend of Pleasure. mine. And, and you've mentored me and, and just been great to me over the years. So thanks for coming on. The question I have about Rafa is about his return position. I noticed in the match against Manorino and, and to some extent in the previous matches that he's moving closer to the baseline on second serve. What do you see in that area? Uh, well, I first picked up on that in a practice. You know, they like to have closed practices here, which I'm not a fan of. You know, Novak, when he got out, had closed practices. Rafa uh, had closed practices. But I got in the day before, they closed it all up. And I took video and I, I, um, yeah, I, I put a little tweet out there of him stepping in and ripping a second serve return from inside the baseline. And I immediately said that Rafa is a, a way better player if he will do this. And, you know, on clay... The ball's going to slow down more. Players aren't going to serve and volley against him. He can get away with it. Um, he absolutely should do it because where he's very vulnerable is in the deuce court when the opponent hits a slider out wide and the ball is slow and the ball dies. You know, when Novak played him here in the final, I said, Novak, you know, you need to hit that serve between 95 and 105 and just bend the daylights out of it. Don't let it get all the way to Rafa. Make Rafa have to really reach for it. And then the other side of the court's immediately wide open. So Rafa is smart um, to step up against second serves to take that uh, wide slider away, take it right down the middle, and you're already around the baseline where he's going to run up to anyway. So it, it's a good move. You know, it, it's, it doesn't make sense to me to be so far back on hard. And, and you know, I think we talked about it. Um, you know, I was out on court this morning and, you know, you reach down and touch the surface and you rub it. It is a vastly different surface than in New York. New York has a heavier paint and it has sand um, in the paint. And, you know, a few years ago, they used to put round um, granules of sand. They changed it to triangular granules to make it even rougher. I mean, I remember going out there maybe 2017, 2018, New York, rubbing my hand. I was like sandpaper. I did that for 30 seconds. I'll be bleeding. Not in Australia. You know, it's it's a slicker service. The ball tends to skid here, whereas the ball tends to sit in New York. So I don't think there's any benefit for Rafa to be so far back on a second serve. I think the surface dictates he, he can stay up and block more returns and, and, and force more serve plus one errors. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the return position thing. And and Craig, I don't know if, if you only watched the, uh, the tiebreak of the Manorino match, but I thought Nadal made an adjustment in time for the tiebreak, but early on in the first set, Manorino was serving wide on both the deuce and the ad every time Nadal was getting dragged way off the court. And it was only until later in that set, he moved up and I thought it was a great adjustment for him. But but we talk about the second serve and Nadal's ability to be aggressive off of that return. What are your thoughts on the first serve return in terms of position? Does it depend on the player, and then obviously you can bring this back to Rafa, but you see so many players nowadays giving themselves that time and space from Medvedev to team to Nadal, uh, especially on the first serve return. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's always going to be back on the first serve. He's basically trying not to hit a legitimate or a textbook um, uh, return to serve. He, he's, got, he's wanting to go back and say, I'm going to turn this into a ground stroke. I'm going to let the ball slow. So 
in general rally play, when a ball, let's say a ball leaves the baseline off a racket at 80 miles an hour, by the time it reaches the other baseline, it's dropped at least half of that speed. So it's, it's less than 40, it's probably around 35. So when Rafa just backs way up, um, you know, he's, he's essentially just slowing the ball down. He's strong enough that he can rip and find the other baseline, which is, you know, I caught 78 feet. He's probably got 138 feet somewhere back in the third row. And then he's quick enough to get up to the baseline um, and do well. I remember when I was working with um, Matteo Berrettini against Rafa at uh, the US Open a couple of years ago. And one of the strategies was for Matteo to serve big, first serve, and then hit the first ball as a drop shot. And Rafa, I think he went 6-0, and oh, but he did it too much in that first set tie break and that cost him the first set tie break. But in general, Rafa's back, it's, it's just fine on a first serve. The second serve's where I think the adjustment can be, um, can be made for him. Craig, you have coached against Rafa many times, and sometimes you've been successful, and sometimes he's gotten the better of you. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that, that Spanish guy. Um, what uh, What do you think his chances are to win this tournament? Legit, straight up. Good. Better now that Zverev's out for sure. You know, everybody have off, has off days. But um, yeah, way better. I mean, it would skyrocket if Medvedev would, would would dip out of the tournament as well. And then you know, I, I work with Mateo, so um, you know we, we're going to look at that. So he's got Shapovalov next. Uh, I was at the match in Rome, sitting third row when Shapo got to match point against him and, and lost. And um, you know it, what happened in that match essentially was. Was Shapo was dictating with runaround forehands. He was, you know, hitting good backhands. He was being creative. Um, Rafa didn't quite know how to play him until, you know, very deep in that second set. When and 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 in the third set, when Rafa just said, "I'm going to stick you in the backhand cage. I'm going to make you hit 11 backhands in a row. And by the time that you get through the fourth and fifth and sixth, there's a really good chance you're going to miss." And if Carlos Moya is doing his work as a coach, they're going to go back to that match and look at it and figure out. How do we get over the line against Chappell in that match? And, and that's essentially all he's got to do. He's got to put him in the backhand cage and just make him hit, hit, hit you know, 70% backhands for the match and Rafa wins. Um, if he doesn't and Chappell gets to hit a lot of forehands, Rafa could be in trouble again. There's, there's no doubt about it. Chappell's um, now being coached by Jamie Delgado, who was with Andy Murray for a long time. So you've got, you know, a, a breath of fresh air in the coaching box. And I think that's really going to help. So the Chappell match is... is is not a lay down at all. The Berrettini match, if I've got anything to do with it, if, you know, if, if um, Matteo, you know, gets to his, his next round, um, you know, and then, then you've got probably Medvedev in the final. So, but my goodness, Rafa's won 20 of these. He's experienced. He knows what's coming. He knows it's one match at a time. He's got, you know, some runs on the board against all these guys. So he is an absolute legitimate contender. That's, you just can't say he's not. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The uh, the the backhand thing with, with Shapovalov is interesting. I thought Zverev didn't, didn't do a very good job of getting it to the backhand at all, especially on the second serve return and even mid-rally on some of the cross-court forehands, giving Shapo too much time to, to run around. Um, that was on clay. This is on hard court. I'm in two schools of thought, so I want to know what you think. Is it easier to get it to the Shapovalov backhand on hard court because it's quicker, or is it harder because Rafa might have a little bit more trouble changing direction on, on the forehand down the line and and somehow kind of having more trouble directionally? Uh, that's a really good question, and I, there is no black and white answer for that because there may be some days on hard that he does it really well, and other days maybe it's not. I mean, the weather... And the core conditions changed dramatically here. Um, you know, we got we got really hot weather the last few days. It's very hot again today. If they play in the middle of the day, the court is much faster. If you play in the cool of the evening, on Melbourne heats up and drops a lot of temperature at night, and, and the court behaves differently. So I would say, in general, it's going to be easier for Rapid to find Chapo's backhand on clay. Um, he's just going to have more time to do the things that that he wants. Um, Sorry, guys. I had a call come in. Oh, <laughs> that's what happens when a call comes you, in. Yeah, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah we're, we're here. Okay, great. Great. Awesome. No, there we go. I a, all of a sudden, I lost you on my screen. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I would imagine that um, it would have been easier in Rome. I think now it's a little bit more bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. I think Chapeau can, can find the run around a little bit better. Um, I think. You know, I, I, let, let me see two games in, yeah. in their match and I'll know for sure. But yeah. th- that's what I expect will happen. I, I think Shepard, um, I, I think he'll do a little bit better finding forehands and running around forehands here uh, on, on a lower, quicker surface. Craig, a topic that we've been discussing when it comes to Rafa relates to this issue of shortening the points. And you hear it on the broadcasts a lot. The commentators will say, ah, Rafa's getting older. He's got to try to shorten the points. And and you understand rally length. I mean, you've pioneered that area of tennis, rally length. Um, is that something that Rafa is, do you think, trying to do? Or is it more about he's just running certain patterns which would lead to shorter points? Yeah, so 2017, when Roger beat him here in the final, um, I remember them, you know, Rafa was kind of in beast mode and they were interviewing Carlos Moyer and, and Carlos just gave it away. He goes, yeah. You know, we're looking to play shorter rallies. But the thing was, he played 
three Aussies to start with, and it was Duckworth and a couple of other guys. Maybe Melman was in there. And it, it just kind of lent itself to playing those shorter rallies anyway. Um, you know, the court's quick, and if they're playing, you know, in, in the afternoon, the rallies are going to be shorter anyway. I, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's definitely going to help him for his longevity um, to, to play those shorter points. Um, as you probably know, Amy, you know, with the work that I've done, you know, even for Rapper, the player that wins zero through four is far more likely to succeed than, than literally any other statistic in our sport. So in order for Rafa to have a focus in zero through four, you know, he's, he's, he's great with the first serve. He's the number one all-time career leader in second serve points one. Um, he's unbelievable off um, first serve returns. And he's, and he's you know, maybe the, the best ever at second serve returns. So he's naturally really, really good in that zero through four rally length. When you look at all the players in zero through four, five through eight and nine plus, he leads the tour in the highest, and it's actually in five through eight, and it's around 57% um, points one. So he's exceptional in zero to four. He's exceptional in five through eight, and the guy's not bad when it gets to long rallies either. So <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's a combo of both. Yes, he wants to gravitate that way, but he's already very, very good. We just get enamored with the long rallies and him running around the court, um, you know, in, the, in a 22-shot rally. Um, the, the Rafa's statute says... You know, he excels in the short rally. So, um, you know, I expect him to continue to do well here in Melbourne um, in zero to four. Did you say he's the best in the world at, at five through eight? Did I get that right? Yes, he, yes. He's, he's the he's, If you look at the highest in zero through four, the highest in five through eight, and the highest in nine plus, um, Rav is the best across the board. And, and it is in, is in five through eight where he, where he peaks out there around 57% points one. You think that's because he just is really good at sustaining the aggression and keeping control of the point once he gets it? It's it, it's a pattern yeah. I call the two-one pattern. So he, what he does is he'll he'll get the he'll make the first ball. He'll he'll then when it comes back, so we've got a, a serve and a return. Then he goes to the backhand, um, and the ball comes back, and he goes one more. And then he opens up to the forehand. So he's, he's he's he throws a couple of punches to the backhand side to kind of get them to bend over a little bit, which is which essentially means they hit the ball short. He gets the run around forehand and he finishes out wide to position A in, in the juice court. So um, it's premeditated murder. He's, he's got this, this pattern of play, which is two balls to the backhand and then finish to the forehand, or it was all course the error to the forehand side. And um, it, it's a chess match and he just runs it constantly. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching, um, you know, Marcus Durant was right there, you know, a couple of steps away from me, just um, in the minutes as we were getting ready um, for our call. And he's talking about his match against Rafa. And I sat out there and watched it. And, you know, Marcus just hasn't seen Rafa play 200 matches. And I have. I'm like, well, I know what's going to happen here if you hit the ball there. And Rafa's still running the exact same patterns he's run his entire life. And he's getting better at them. He's just getting more refined. He sees the court so clearly. I want to ask one more question about the zero through four rallies, because a lot of your work um, does revolve around that concept of, of winning those short rallies. And I'm wondering if there are some, some misconceptions. And I, I have a feeling that I actually don't know where you're going to go. I'm, I'm wondering uh, what the answers can be here. Do you think that there's a perception that winning zero through four rallies is all about aggression when it's actually also about consistency, also about defense, and it's not necessarily, you know, bang, bang? It's more about survival is what it's about. So you have, 
four different ways a point starts and they're all vastly different in the outcome and how they're played. So when you're hitting a first serve, you want the point to end immediately with return errors. Yes, you'll sprinkle in some aces, but you're, you're essentially trying to extract as many return errors as possible. You're trying to ex extract the short ball so that the surplus one forehand can finish it and you're trying to get immediately to the net. So the highlight reel of, of first serves is very short rallies um, where you're very dominant. Um, again, second serves is let's not double fold and let's not make a surplus one error. So it's much more about survival. When we go to first serve returns, it's about putting the ball into the court and surviving. And again, second serve returns, it's about punishing the server and forcing a surplus one error. So two of those elements is about offense. There's no question, but the other two, it's about extending and trying, can you get past zero to four into five to eight where the battlefield becomes much more even. I think early on, and, and I was here at the 2015 Australian Open where I first uncovered that IBM threw these stats out, but didn't aggregate the data. And, and, I, and I put it all together. I'm like, wow, what does all this mean? And I would say partly that's my fault because early on when I looked at this data and it was brand new, I probably didn't really understand it well either. You know, the first thing I did understand was 70% of all points in tennis involve a maximum of two shots for each player. So it's a lot of short rallies, only 10% were in nine plus. Um, and, and the more you look at it, the more you dig it, um, dig into it, the more you distill it, the more you sleep on it, um, the more you discuss it with, with you know, wonderful tennis minds such as yourself and Amy, you, it becomes clearer over time. So I think now I have a better understanding of it and, and it is part aggression, let's get this thing done now and part survival, can we survive to five to eight where the percentages say, I've got a better chance of, of winning the point. Craig, one of the main uh, storylines as we transition from Rafa and and I, this has been amazing al already just to hear you uh, going through all of these tactics um, is Ash Barty on, on the women's side. And Amy and I have been talking about how much she reminds us of Roger Federer. Do you see a lot of Federer in Barty? And, you know, it's the more I think about it, I, I'd say uh, the more I go there. But I want to make the question uh a little bit. I want to give you more to work with here. If there's things about her that remind you more of Nadal or Djokovic, you can go there as well. Or anyone else. Or anyone you know? else, yes. <laughs> so I did see Amy put that tweet out. Um, that that. Oh, you've did, been reading you know, my Twitter. You've been reading my oh, Twitter. Amy, the, prob <laughs> the problem is every time I open about tennis, you're, it just automatically kind of populates. Oh, so I, I'm just... I'm just naturally reading a lot of your wisdom. Um, but um, so, so the answer is yes and no. Yes and no here. So the yes is like there's, there's the obvious connection with Roger with the size backhand um, and setting things up with the size backhand, an, an obvious connection. And so I went and dug in and, and I wanted to give you guys a little bit of data um, to work with here and chew on. So let's start with the yes. Um, you know, the game style with the precision serving um, is, is, is very similar with both Ash and Roger, no question there. The other thing is the rally length is very similar. So in, when Roger won the Aussie Open in 2017, he was at 72% in zero through four. In 2018, he was at 73% in zero through four. Ash Barty so far in the tournament is at 72%. So it's identical. It's absolutely identical. In five through eight, it's 1990, 19%, 19 and 21. And in nine plus, it's 988. So you can, you can make an absolute case and that's not normal for women's tennis. Women's tennis, you know, the men are normally around 
68 to 70, and the ladies are in the 64 to 68 range. So Ash is higher than that. Ash is attacking early. So we're going to give um, credit to the uh, to the Ash Barty Roger Federer connection um, with the rally range. Where there's a difference, and it may only be in the tournament so far, but where there's a difference, I went back and looked at Roger in 2017 when he won here. He came to the net. 242 times, 28 sets, averaging around nine times a set. Those are good Roger numbers. 2018, 191 times forward, 22 sets. That's around nine a set, exactly the same. Um, Ash Barty so far here in Melbourne has only come to the net 20 times in eight sets. So it's only two and a half times, two and a half times a set for Ash Barty, nine times a set for Roger. So that is not Roger-esque at all. And in fact, I went and looked um, at the first set against Anna Samova, and Ash was not even really trying to get to the net. When she was going to the net, it was she was either drawn in, typically, or maybe there's a net cord, or maybe both of them end up at the net. But I didn't feel that short ball hunter um, attitude to jump on everything short. Um, the other connection where you, where you have to go with Roger is serve and volley. Um, 2017, Roger served and volleyed 82 times to win the title here. He served and volleyed 51 times to win the title here in 2018. Ash Barty has not served and volleyed once so far. So, so those are the two comparisons. And, and it very well may be Ash, Ash would defend that and say, well, the opponents I've played didn't warrant that. I didn't need to come to the net against these opponents. And you know what, Craig, if you had been out at my practice, you would have seen me coming to the net more. So that we don't know. We really need for Ash to complete her... Uh, her tournament here to see, okay, in the first few rounds, maybe it wasn't, but then she turned it on as the tournament went. Um, I worked against her. I helped Alison Risk and her coach defeat Ash Barty at Wimbledon. And, you know, the game plan was real simple, is that, you know, you don't want to go to Ash Barty's backhand because she's going to slice it a lot. She's not going to miss it. She's, you're going to go you're going to go to the backhand, slice, slice, slice. And the thing is, you are going to get the ball that Ash Barty hits, the quality of that slice, you can't do anything with it. You're not hitting a winner off it. So forget that noise. Um, and Ash is, is not going to make an error off it. So the game plan is to not go to Ash Barty's backhand at all because she's either going to hit a slice backhand that you, uh, um, you, you, know, you don't get any headway or she's going to hit a run around forehand where you're in trouble. It's much more about playing Ash through the middle and playing it wide to the forehand. And I saw that against Dennis and Over where the racket starts flicking and wrapping, and wrapping like wrapper. But it's around the edge of the, of the racket. So, um, so, so those are kind of my comparisons. That there, you know, it's sometimes Ash Barty does smell like Roger. At other times, maybe not so much. But uh, let's, let's see some more matches here. Yeah. Um, and I got a chance to ask her actually about her slice at Roland Garros in 2019, the year that she ended up winning. And it was interesting. She said she uses it to pin her opponents in certain areas of the court where she wants them. And that really um, said to me how much confidence that she has in the shot and how much control that she has. And also that she's a pattern runner. You know, she's not out there just trying to gun or, or whatever. Um, she's She has exceptionally high tennis IQ. Um, but, you know, back on the issue of her volley, uh, she was six of six today at the net. So she was perfect. I do think there was an element of didn't really need to be there because 
I mean, the rallies weren't that long and, and you know, Anasmova was missing a lot of returns. So you, you weren't even getting there. Um, but wouldn't you say, Craig, that she is a very skilled volleyer in terms of technique? She's an amazing volleyer. Um, you know, it, it, having a good slice backhand from the back of the court really does help uh, develop that volley technique. So yeah, she's one of the best volleyers in the game, no question. She's got good touch, she's got good hands. Um, her instincts are good. When do I go touch? When do I go angle? When do I play behind? When do I know the lob's coming? You know, she, she's got all of those elements in spades. So um, if she needs to go to the net, she's very accomplished up there. Craig, uh, Matteo Berrettini is now um, in the quarterfinal and he's become the only man born in the 1990s to make the quarterfinal at all four majors. You know, Novak Djokovic was was a, a barrier at a, three of the last three slams in in 2021. But generally speaking, he's been just exceptionally consistent at the slams. Everybody knows about the forehand. Everybody knows about the serve. What's underratedly difficult for opponents when they're playing Matteo Berrettini outside of those two really super loud and obvious weapons? What Matteo is doing a better job of is absorbing the game plan. Um, I would say from all the matches that I've worked with the Italians now with Matteo for a number of years, the match against Carlos Alcaraz was as impressive as any as I've seen in sticking to the game plan. And what Matteo is doing well, game plans don't involve a one-way trip, such as I'm going to hit the serve there and then that's the end of the story. Um, it's much more of a boomerang effect. Um, where if I serve wide, where is the ball going to come back and what do I want to do with that ball? Is my primary pattern then to approach and go to the, um, to the back end on the other side? Is it to let my opponent run back and then play behind him? Um, is, it, is it doing the high percentage pattern at love all and doing um, something different such as serving bomb down the tee, which, which has a lot of reward, but maybe it's a little bit riskier. I think Mateo's saving that to a 30 love or a 40-15 He's serving wide and looking for a serve plus one combination, um, much more at level or 15 all on a bigger point. He's, he's switching better between primary and secondary, and he's setting things up better. Um, he, he's not panicking and going, I need to end this point now. I need to end it with one shot because then, you know, the, the, the alarm bells go off because you're trying very low percentage, one-trick pony kind of um, patterns of play. Um, and Mateo's maturing. He's, he's doing a better job. And against Carlos, he did a really, really good job of that and kept Carlos guessing down the other side of the court. And it was a testament that I know exactly where Mateo is going to hit it, but Carlos doesn't. And Mateo is, is maturing um, with his patterns of play. So, you know, it's, it's about sometimes you can put Mateo in a backhand cage and, and kind of lock him up there. I think he's doing a much better job of getting out of it. Um, whether it's, you know, maybe he's going down the line a bit more. Maybe he's going down the middle. Maybe he's coming through it. Um, there's a variety of different ways to get out of the back end cage. But he's doing a better job of that. And he's, he's being better at, at um, picking the right serve at the right time and then following it up, um, you know, with, with a higher percentage shot and covering the forehand a little bit better as well instead of just like, you know, firing it out of bazooka, and, and we hope this thing lands in the court. Well, led the uh, led the tour in break points saved in 2021. So uh, hope 
hopes to do that again for sure. And that's a good sign that he is saving those great patterns for, for when he needs them. That's very interesting to hear. Craig, uh, how can the uh, how can our viewers and listeners find your work at Brain Game Tennis? Uh, there's 11 courses on my website, whether it's singles or doubles or the mental, emotional side of the game. Um, there, there's very specific courses relating to uh, those areas. Um, I also have a blog where I post a lot of content, a lot of content here from the Australian Open. Um, some very good stuff lately that the Australian Open did following Alexi Poppin and I through the Melbourne tournament and then the first round of the Australian Open, which is some really good behind the scenes stuff. So go to the blog or check out the courses and um, that, that's, that's where you can find my stuff. And Craig, just on your stuff, because I get asked this all the time, um, does some of this apply to recreational amateur players like myself? Um, because people try to tell me that, oh, the pro game is nothing like what you're playing at your club. I mean, it's like a world apart. It's like a different sport. True or not? What I've done is I've taken the, the patterns of play and, um, and, and the percentages from the Pro Tour and delivered that to a digestible um, type of course for players all over the world. You know, I didn't know whether you could take Pro Patterns and teach young kids or teach, you know, ladies doubles based on what's happening here at the Australian Open. So I experimented, experimented with it um, and it absolutely does work. So all the courses um, are for the recreational players, are for players at all levels and all ages of our game. You know, it. it it, it looks like it's a different game. And yes, it's a different speed, but the, where the ball's going, it's still a very, very similar kind of pattern. So absolutely. Craig, we wish you luck for the rest of the tournament. And Mateo, we wish you luck for the rest of the year for Lexi Popperin. This has been great. Thank hopefully, you. Hopefully we can do it again. And thanks for the time. Well, I greatly appreciate you having me on. And if um, Joel is not allowed back on until he can come <laughs> up with a better background than that. Yes, yes. Shout oh, out to that's that. Oh, that's going to be yes. tough. Uh, Good luck, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of Three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.